Episode 27, Secrets of the Taroka, Part 1. Hi, this is Dragnacarta, DM for Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten. You're listening to the Twice Bitten Podcast, a campaign where five Curse of Strahd DMs head back into the mists for a hauntingly familiar adventure. Starring Jack as Betrion, Kaya as Lillison, Linus as Amity, Serena as Kiva, and Twy as Deer. You can catch the horror live every Saturday at 1pm Eastern, 10am Pacific on Twitch at twitch.tv slash rcurseofstrahd, or watch new episodes every Monday on YouTube at youtube.com slash c slash rcurseofstrahd. You can also listen to new episodes of this podcast weekly at anchor.fm slash twice-bitten, or wherever you like to syndicate your podcasts. Now, let's get right to Ravenloft. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Curse of Strahd Twice Bitten, the show where five DMs take on D&D's top gothic horror campaign. I am Dragnacarta, as always, your host and DM, and thank you to everyone for tuning in today. Fun news coming up. Uh, Jack's going to go in a little bit onto this after the break, uh, but we have... It's been a while since we last had an After Dark, isn't it? Proper Q&A. It has been. I missed it. Like, last time before the feast, we've had so much happen. Yeah, we're going to get into all of it, though. Uh, Every last bit of it. Every little detail. With our 24-hour After Dark. Exactly. It's been, what, seven episodes? Yeah. It's been eight. It's been a bunch. Fantastic. Let's make it nine. You know what? Let's just put so, <laughs> But if you want your, or no, I'll save it. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, but man, that'll be an action-packed time. Uh, so we'll have more news on that after the break. But I think we're good to get started. So without uh, any further ado, let's get started with this week's Curse of Straw, Twice Bitten. A striking elven female with an almost ritualized poise. Kiva Cyrilai always endeavors to be a level-headed mediator and a soothing presence in the lives of all she meets. Determined to look ever forward, she relies on controlling day-to-day chaos. Anyone who watches her for long enough, however, can clearly see there's something undeniably feral and unpredictable bubbling under the surface. In the company of these fine strangers, he is just Metreon, but across the Sword Coast, he's known as Metreon the Magnificent. He is a tiefling whose body and dress carry the signatures of a nomadic performer, as evidenced by the rougher edges of his costume and his sinewy frame covered in faded tattoos. Though he may not look like a typical magician, rest assured, he cleans up quite handsomely. The well-dressed, well-spoken half-elf who introduced herself as Lilisen has stayed away from the rest of the traveling group during the journey so far. Oh, she's friendly enough if someone strikes up a conversation with her. Charming, even. But left to her own devices, she invariably keeps to herself, and even looks nervous when anyone comes within ten feet of her. Amity a terrifying deviloid with a tail that will knock your drink over if she gets too excited. Even worse, some pig follows her around and eats almost as much as she does. Yet, she's generous and easy to befriend, especially if you get her talking about her book of fables. Just, if she compares you to a fox, it's hard to tell if that's a compliment. 
Erythrindir is a high elf man who looks perpetually like he's never quite gotten enough sleep. After his departure from elven society, he found himself out in the wilderness, working as a ranger in the deep, deep woods. However, this did little to quell his passion for history, and he's found himself on the road to Neverwinter, hoping to track down a book that might hold the answer to a question he's held for a long, long time. And welcome back. So, last we left off on Twice Bitten. After a sequence of exciting events in Kresk and meeting a new companion, the Vistana monster hunter Esmeralda Davenir, our companion set off to Ser Pool to the east, seeking the wisdom of the Vistani seer Madame Eva as they sought an answer to their question. Could Strahd be destroyed? And what in their actions could assist in such an endeavor? Along the way, they stopped off at an old tower by a lake north of the old Svalich Road to acquire Esmeralda's wagon and other materials. There, the travelers met Dr. Rudolf van Richten, Esmeralda's mentor and a veteran vampire hunter who had taken to staying in the tower out of sight. There, he shared advice and knowledge to aid in Strahd's destruction and wished them well on their forthcoming quest. Upon returning to Velaki, the companions soon found that tensions had heated to a boiling point with a scent of revolution in the air. The party split up, with Kiva leading a team to a local dress shop in search of a purchase for the abbot back in Kresk, and Erthrundir joining Lillison to infiltrate the Baron's manor in an effort to warn Victor Velakovich, the Baron's son, and escort him to safety. Upon arriving at the mansion, the party soon found it surrounded by a mob of angry Velakians, terrified by the attack at St. Andrew's Church, anxious over a series of subsequent vampire attacks in the streets, and emboldened by the slaying of Isaac Strozny, the Baron's right hand. As Erthrandir and Lillison ascended secretly to the attic to greet Victor and attempted to persuade him of the danger that faced him, Baron Vargas Velakovich exited the manor to confront the crowd. But when the people refused to disperse, tensions quickly escalated. For a brief moment, as Kiva stepped in to protect a Velakian from the Baron's savage dogs, an uneasy peace looked possible only to be broken when an agitator broke the silence and the mob surged forward. As the Baron fled upstairs into the house, Kiva and Amity followed in pursuit to find and seize the Baroness's wedding dress for the abbot's purposes. Meanwhile, Erthrandir and Lillison safely extracted an invisible victor from the attic into the gardens, just as the mob set the Baron's manor aflame and dragged the Baron and his wife away to their doom. After returning to the Blue Water Inn, the companions did their best to regroup, Erthrandir assuring Victor that he remained safe and that the party would help him find sanctuary with Casimir and the Dusk Elves the following morning. As Kiva drank with Esmeralda and renewed her friendship with Irina, who was now determined to seek out her past and see Strahd destroyed instead of running, Metreon spoke with Yeska, the traumatized former altar boy of St. Andrew's Church. Together, Metreon and Lillison set off to see what the town had become in the wake of the revolution, which the party strongly suspected had been organized by Lady Fiona Vokter. Metreon visited the grave of Father Lucian, paying his respects and finding a note left behind by a woman named Lydia. After passing Vokter House and returning to the inn, the party confirmed that the Baron had indeed been stoned to death, and that Lady Vokter had indeed seized power with both new and old institutions within Velaki's walls, endorsing her. 
And so, that night, returning to the Blue Water Inn, the group shared in drinks and merriment, then headed to rest as they prepared for their journey the following morning. And so, each of you turns into your rooms hosted generously by Erwin and Danica, the keepers of the Blue Water, with Kiva and Erthrandir turning into trance and meditate through the night as the others turn in for an uneasy but restful sleep as Irina and Ismark ponder the paths to come and Victor sleeps fitfully, awash in the sensations and memories of the pain from that day. One of you sleeps less restfully than the others. Metreon. You yeah. feel yourself falling in the darkness as slowly your eyes nod off to sleep. The comforting, faint flickering glow of the candle in the corner of your comfy in-room slowly fading, the shadows dancing across the walls as you feel the darkness of rest take you. When you next open your eyes, you feel cold stone beneath your feet. Looking down, you see the cobblestones of a familiar stone platform around you, tapering off into a dark, expansive shadow, a void that surrounds the circular platform upon which you now stand. You blink, and there is a familiar figure standing across the circular platform from you. Face hood dark beneath a shadowed hood, the hands concealed between these sleeves that are held together. Though you feel a shudder down your spine as you recall the cold skeletal features that you once beheld protruding beneath that dark fabric. As you take a moment to grasp your consciousness as the dream takes hold of you, you hear a familiar voice rasping from beneath the hood. So, I can't help but wonder. I do believe that you might have gained additional insight into the girl's dealings since last we spoke. Might my suspicions prove correct? A little bit, yeah. Um, she, she admitted that she did uh, pass, uh, pass on back into her house. She uh, doesn't seem like she's one of like one of them ghouls or nothing. She still hasn't told me who or what brought her back, but I think it's just a matter of time. Mm. Some progress then. I can appreciate efforts. Mm -hmm. It does seem that you've been working hard on one's behalf. You uh, I have. In an instant, the figure is standing mere feet away from you, no longer yards across the platform, but within touching distance. And you watch as slowly the figure withdraws one of its hands, the pale white of the bone of its skeletal fingers glinting in the light that seems to come from everywhere and nowhere around you. 
You have worked for your efforts. I can appreciate your diligence. And well, the wounded one believes in rewards, pleasure, as well as pain. Slowly, the skeletal fingers trace gently down your cheek. Hmm. Beautiful, infernal flesh. But you crave more, don't you? I do. You feel a chill down your spine and a prickling across your skin as you feel the darkness beneath the hood regard you with a cold familiarity. Hmm. Turn around. Metreon, uh turns his eyes first to see if he, he sees any other part of this creature's form. Uh, as presumably he just sees the arm though in the hand. And very slowly begins to pivot towards these, the direction where the hand is coming from. Okay. As the darkness beneath the hood regards you, you slowly turn facing away from the figure and toward the edge of the platform. But where the void once sat, there is now an object sitting there as if held by an invisible force in the darkness, scant inches away from the edge of your face and your body. It's a mirror, surrounded by a simple silver frame, a faint glint of light shimmering from its reflective plane surface, faint bits of distortion and gray and dirt from the surface where the glass has been scuffed and scratched from years and years of age, but you see yourself there. Not covered in the disguise as you've seen, but the violet of your skin, the flaring amber of your eyes. You can see even your headband pulled back, the faint nubs of your horns clearly visible upon your forehead. Do you find this dissatisfactory? Metreon doesn't say anything, but his expression is very awkward and very almost disgusted looking in the mirror right now. Well, there are things one can do about that. You watch as the fingers slowly trace through the air, not against, but beside your face. And as they do, you watch as in the mirror, a faint veil of mist, not like clouds of fog, but interconnected by strands of shadow, like silk of a spider's web connecting in joints and anchors. As the weave slowly pulls, as the finger drags through the air across your flesh. And as you watch in the reflective surface of the mirror, you can see your reflection start to shimmer, start to change. It's the horns that you watch first to slowly begin to grow thinner, then shrinking in size, receding against your forehead until they are but small nubs beneath the skin and then flat beneath your forehead. You watch as the silver hair begins to darken, turning a grayish brown, then a jet black. As below it, 
the purplish flesh begins to pale to a more brownish olive hue. There's a flash around your eyes, and in that moment, the amber iris is cool to an ordinary brown. You blink and look at the reflection, and instead of your own tiefling visage, you see a human, at once familiar and unfamiliar, staring back into the eyes. And as you feel your eyes pull down involuntarily, you see your hands flexing at the corner of your vision, not purplish, not with the faint claws at the sharpened edge of your fingernails that as hard as you try to file never quite go away completely. Simple rounded nails, the same brownish olive tone. I uh, flex my hand a bit to see if it's real. I kind of press my fingertips into my palm and I look up back up at the mirror and very slowly start to approach it. Kind of, I place my hands on the frame to just get a sense of what it is, what it feels like, its tactileness, it's, if it's even just real. And I put my hand towards the mirror and I see the reflection of that same humanoid looking skin uh, on the palm of my hand in the mirror and see how it matches my own. And I just kind of get lost in this new form in the reflection of the mirror. It's not even paying attention to, to the wounded one anymore. As a, mo a moment passes as you regard it, then you feel the sharp clinking of your nails against the mirror. You hear the wounded one say, of course, it is only skin deep. Light is a more pliable substrate than flesh, for one of your capabilities at least. But an adept liar must have more tools than shoe polish to conceal one's identity, yes? Yeah, yeah. And as he says that, he's not even paying attention to to the patron. He's just hypnotized by the reflection, just marveling at it. As you look into the reflection, you hear the snap of bone against bone, and the mirror vanishes. With a blink, you're no longer facing the void, but the figure. Vanity has its uses, but there will be time for that eventually. But fear not, boy, for you'll find more surprises as well when you awaken. Happy ones, I hope. Are you not pleased? Metreon takes a moment to consider the weight of these words and looks back down in his hand, wriggles the fingers a bit, flexes again, looks back up at the figure. It'll do. Yeah, it'll do a lot. Good. I am quite adept at ensuring that those I confer with are happy with such relationships. But do not forget 
we do have a deal. And I will expect you to continue its pursuit with all efforts. For I can tell you are close to breaching the girl's testimony. Do not let up the pressure. When next we meet, I want to know every glimmer she saw, every whisper she heard, every brush across her skin beneath that cursed dwelling. I want to know what powers she dealt with and what they told her. I want to know why they chose her. Do you understand? Yeah, I got it. Good. Then I shan't keep you. Until next time. There's a soft wave of shadow around the skeletal fingers of his exposed hand. And then slowly, the blackness swirls. You feel yourself falling into a cold depth. And your eyes open. And the first thing you notice as you awaken to the dark interior of the chamber of your room with the blue water in, you feel the soft rustle of the rough fabrics of the blankets over top of you, the crunching of the straw beneath your bed. And as you come to consciousness, you hear at the corner of your ear a tapping against your window. Is it a gentle tapping? It's not quite gentle. It feels more like the clack of your fingernails against the mirror. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll very slowly pull away the covers. Uh, he passed out, I presume, because of how drunk he got uh, the previous night, um, and kind of stumbles towards the window to see what the sound is or the source of it. As you awaken from your rest, uh, stepping forth from the bed, you kind of move up to rub your eyes for a second, wiping the sand from them in the sleep. It's still pitch black outside. And as you step toward it, you see for a moment through the haze of your sleepy state, a hand against the window pane. In the darkness, you see for a moment cast in the darkness its features too dark to distinguish but beside the hand a face and for that moment as you see the hand press against the glass once more you see the scratching of a long claw against the glass and then a floorboard creaks beneath your weight and the face vanishes the hand following soon behind did I at least get a glimpse of who of that face any you did features? not you did not make out any okay. features unfortunately right. dark vision lets you see in the dark but it doesn't give you perfect perception yeah I get that uh yeah he, he just stays there for a moment looking out trying to see if if he can see the source of it see any other kind of activity um and just stays there for uh, probably about like 15 minutes uh, just kind of going over what he saw not only in the window but also in his dream question dragon 
DM. When Answer. I looked in the mirror, was I still pink? When you looked in the mirror in your... I mean the window, the window, the window, sorry. The window. Um, I mean, by now the candle has gone out. It's still dark, but if you'd like to illuminate something in here, I'm sure you can conjure another reflection. Yeah, uh, I'll go and light, uh, light the candle in my room and uh, pull out my hand mirror for my satchel. All right. Um, relighting the candle, you do pull it up to the darkness of the window. And as you do, you can see there in the reflection your familiar purple tiefling face, the silver hair falling unkempt over your forehead and ears. Just uh, the glint of pink flesh beneath the flickering candlelight. Metreon sighs a bit and goes back to the the bedside, sets the candle down, and starts to similarly similarly flex his hand the same way that he was back in the dream. Um, and as he does, he feels that cold connection, that shiver down his spine that he felt when the wounded one touched him. And he flexes his hand once more, and it looks like the pink flesh may start to turn a little bit more brown olive. And with that, he relaxes his hand and it's still pink and it's not sure if it's just like a, a dream or hallucination, just something coming out of sleep. Uh, but he sighs and without going back under the covers, just rolls over and stares at the ceiling until he finally passes out again, thinking it also might just be like a, a drunk hallucination or something. Okay. And with that, you do pass once more into rest, this time a dreamless sleep. And as you do, as time passes and the night continues, uh, Kiva... Whose room are you in? Oh God. Um, that's a really good question. So, uh, Deer would have put her into a place to rest, I'm assuming, being very drunk. So, uh, I don't know how the rooms are all split up, whether we all did the sort of group room like last time or where Metreon got his special room. Yeah, I presume he would have put you in with someone with one of the fellow women, so Lillison or someone, probably. Lillison's uh, right. not there, though. Oh, yeah. right. Lillison's not there. So, um... Well, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I should have an answer for this. No, that's alright. Let's just presume for the current moment that you're in the uh, the larger guest room. That sounds perfect. The one that you've previously stayed in. Amazing. Alright. So, as you sit upon the bed... Um, at the far end of the room, amidst the uh, repairs that had been made since one of your previous visits here. You feel your trance uh, about halfway through the night slowly come to an end as you draw yourself from the reverie of dreams and memories of your elven lives and histories. And as your gaze slowly opens and you pull yourself from the meditation, you hear the sound of something shattering on the opposite side of the road 
outside of the window. Uh, like glass shattering or, or? Sounds more ceramic. Oh, that's super weird. Um, okay. Yeah, she's gonna go check it out. Maybe to a window first to see if she can see out, and then if not, she'll try to sneak her way outside. Okay. Glancing outside in the dark, uh, with your elven dark vision, you can, in fact, see a bit of a ways into the shadows of the night. Um, glancing across, you see another building, this one a two-story townhouse with a tiled roof similar to that of the Blue Water Inn. But as you look across the way, you can see crouching atop a place where the roof bends, just a bit away from the top, a crouching figure in the dark, watching you silently, almost as if meeting your gaze through the window. Question, is Erythrondur in the same room as Kiva? Uh, I'd say he would be, yeah. Okay. Uh, as you come out of your own trance, you see Kiva glancing out of the window, looking towards something on the opposite side of the street. Erythrondur kind of blearily pulls himself awake, staggering over to see what the fuss is about, and then locks eyes with the figure. Ah, oh, fuck. Can he, like, make out any details of what it is, or is it too far away for his dark vision to pierce? Make a perception check with disadvantage. It's not more than 60 feet away. It is within a certain visual range, but uh, it is still night out. <laughs> That's a natural 19 and a natural 20, so 21. All right. You appear through the darkness and do your best to delve through the murk and the mist that wrap across the street, and for a moment the mist parts and you see the familiar face of one of the vampire spawn that you saw attacking the church maybe a few nights ago. A woman's face, though pale and the flesh sunk in somewhat. Sallowed, hollow eyes just staring across the way to the window where Kiva stands, though as you watch, the face slowly turns toward you. Erythrindir just looks over to where Amity is presumably sleeping. Get up, now! Amity wakes up. Uh, what? He just silently beckons her over to the window. There's a, one of the vampires. The the ones that were at the church. Amity scrambles up um, against the back of the room. Is it, is it not here? I don't see him. And more to the point, I think this counts as a dwelling place as long as we stay in here. But damn. All right. Um, is the vampire making any moves or is she just... What's what's she doing at the moment? Right now, she just appears to be crouching atop the roof and staring into the windows. All right. Doesn't appear to be making any aggressive moves, just quietly watching. 
Amdi, can you wake up the others? Amdi nods. Uh, the others are presumably in separate rooms. Amity yeah, will I, creak I open the door and downstairs. look very hesitantly down the hall. Yes, as you open the door, you hear footsteps across the other side. Um, stepping forth from one of the bedrooms on the other end, you see uh, Danica holding a uh, flickering candle in one hand. She meets your eyes. Amity is just going to uh, yell, Vampire! Uh, just to hopefully wake up people down the hallway. I think Amity believes that the hallway might not count as a dwelling, or Amity's not sure about this. Um, so, yeah. Well, uh, regardless, uh, you immediately hear uh, movement from the door immediately to your right, where you know Ismark and Irina to be. Uh, Metreon, you hear as well. Uh, where's Lillison? Lillison is down in the tap room. She probably fell asleep over Victor's spellbook. All right, Kiva well, would jolt awake at that screen. And, and Esmeralda, I think, as well. Uh, Esmeralda is not here. Yeah. Oh, she's not in her wagon? She's in the wagon. She's in the wagon. Yeah, I thought she was going to the, she would go to the wagon. Ah, uh, where's Outside? Kiva going? That's what Lillison would have been doing. Yeah. All right, yeah. so Lillison, you awaken Kiva, you awaken and exit. Where are you, what are you doing? He's just going to go get Esmeralda after seeing the, right. the vampire, yep. As you do, you see Danica standing on the balcony. Hold it, it's all right. We, we, we saw them too. As long as we don't go outside, they can't, they can't do anything. But Esmeralda's out there, and we need to warn her. Watch as she kind of snarls. Shit. Right. All right. Wait a moment, I'm coming down. I'll keep an eye out. Um, keep the door open. In and out, all right? Yes, of course. You be quick. Yeah, she'll do it as, as quick as her little legs will carry her. Just run out, knock on the thing, say, hello, time to come inside. <laughs> and, uh... All right. Um, so with that, you, Lillison, and Danica make your way toward the uh, front door of the tap room. Danica kind of gives you a nod, uh, kind of readying the, uh, undoing the locks and then holding the handle for a moment. And then as soon as you convey that you're ready, she uh, jolts it open. Pulling, and you feel the blast of the cool, chill, Velakian, misty air on the other side. Yeah, so she's got her sword at the ready, and she's going to just run immediately to the wagon. Uh, no pretense for being respectful. Bang on it a few times and tell Esmeralda that she needs to get inside now. All right, as, as soon as you is... bang on the door, you see, you see, uh, you hear a sudden shifting of steps within. The door opens, and you see a silvery rapier glimmering with blue light, slicing toward you, only to stop just beneath your chin. Okay, not really the way to greet a messenger, but please get inside. Oh. And you see Esmeralda kind of like looking very hazy, kind of like dark under the eyes. Um, but, you know, a kind of sharpness to her as she jerks the rapier back. Shit. Sorry. Let's get inside. I, I thought you were... Never mind. Let's go. Yeah, once Esmeralda's inside, she'll run in behind her and just slam the fucking door shut. Esmeralda exhales as she makes her way inside after you. The uh, candlelight flickering in the tap room as Danica lights a few more candles. Oi, what's, uh, what's going on? There's a vampire out on the roof. Not our roof. Actually. Street. Wait, what? 
Erwin is upstairs handling it now, but uh, some friends of ours have spotted them lurking about. Two of them at the moment. One was uh, prowling the exterior earlier. This one arrived a bit later. Like targeting the end specifically? It would seem so. One of them, uh, the first one, was making its way around the exterior. The other one uh, seems to just be watching. Thus far, they've not done anything aggressive, so... Yeah, and though we can't wait for some, we can't wait for daytime. That doesn't work here. Well, they well, still can't come in, right? By this point, he kind of staggers out, like somewhat blearily, but you know, kind of you know, doing his best to look awake, look alarmed as you see his long sword strapped to his belt. They shouldn't be able to get in without an invitation, no. And if nothing else, I'm not so confident that they'll choose to stick around without their master here. But we'll have to see. Are they keeping a watch on us, or are they trying to keep us inside? Hard to tell. I do not like the idea of being containerized until their master comes to fetch us. <sighs> Me neither. And more to the point, if they're still here in daylight, then whatever remains of the guard force might feel compelled to intervene. And, well, uh, it'll be a slaughter. Do you think they would? Under new management? Maybe, maybe not. We know how Miss Water feels about the vampire. He, he must be on his way. So, I don't know how long we have until Strahd gets here. No, that maybe, but there's usually a bit more time between when we see him. Like, it's been at least a few days so far. We also saw him. Strahd ain't shy about showing himself. He's usually got a lot of pomp and circumstance, you know, bringing a bunch of uh, ghouls and cretins and wolves and all that. So what's the point of this? I can't imagine why they'd want... I mean... I can think of several reasons. What, to starve us out? That doesn't seem like the type. To make a point after our little display of defiance back in Kresk, he could very well just amuse himself seeing how many days he can keep us cowering in fear while two vampires merely sit outside and stare at us. Well, I'm not cowering in fear. I mean, what say we just don't go out there and take care of it? Wait, Do you, you didn't try last time. We don't have the capability. Maybe we have Esmeralda all of us does. and her and the Martikovs. Why can't we take care of this? At this point, you hear footsteps coming from the balcony as one of the doors open the guest room and a very pale-faced Victor pokes his head out. What's going on? Why the vampires? Are, are they here to kill us? Are they here to kill you? What we're, is... We're not certain yet why they're here. We're discussing what we should do about them. Esmeralda, you've, you've killed vampires before. Can you kill this one? Esmeralda nods. Vampires spawn, as long as they are not accompanied by the master, are not uh, easy to kill, uh, as they take some doing, but it is not uh, impossible. Um, but I would hazard a suggestion. There are other purposes that a vampire might wield spawn, even in brutish displays. Uh, there are more subtle methods. Given that they don't seem to have attacked, it may be that they aim to contain, but given that we are in the middle of a settlement, it seems unlikely to me that... He would uh, keep them around, especially since they would willingly do so. Spawn are strong, but they tend to value their lives quite highly. 
then what's yeah, the but point? That's a suspicion. Well, a vampire, well, more than once while passing through the uh, woods of the Svalich woods, I have noticed what seems to be uh, a bat or a wolf. Keeping a closer eye on me through the thickets than I thought proper. Vampires are creatures of intellect, after all. They are not creatures of brute force. And the master of information needs eyes and ears, no? So he's come to watch us in our hotel rooms? <laughs> Perhaps it is one idea. Um, you have mentioned that you seem to be, have been watched at some point. I know that I certainly have been. It is possible. Um, of course, we cannot rule out the prediction that uh, something worse might show up, or that they might try something. But now with, that we've been aroused, I think that if nothing else, it might be a good idea to set up a rotating shift until dawn. I yeah. don't believe that this is simply... simply a spying operation. He has sent other creatures to watch us before. Much... much less conspicuous ones. These seem to be... they seem to want us to know that they are watching. Yeah, I'm with Lawson. There's a show of force. I don't disagree. I think that's that uh, you would be right to be wary. It seems that uh, your display in Klesk has certainly piqued his eye. That is a dangerous thing to be. Well, in that case, if this is supposed to make us scared, then I don't really see the point in fighting them, to be honest. Like, yeah, if just... they keep us, yeah, if they keep us kettled in here, then sure, but... If not... Alright, well, I, I've rested so I can take the first watch, if that's needed. Yeah, I'll stay with you. I uh, meant to keep meant to keep looking over the spell book anyway. Wilson glances guiltily towards Victor. <laughs> Victor, by this point, is not really paying attention. He's just kind of staring at the windows and just kind of a vague kind of horror. Victor... Do you want to stay down here with us? I, um, I, I mean, I'm perfectly fine. Um, no, of course, but we 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 would appreciate having you down here if you'd like to stay. It would be a help. Kiva twists her lips a little bit at that, but doesn't say anything. And besides, this way you would know we are not doing anything untoward with your spellbook. I don't. I don't know. Yes. I nearly spilled coffee on it. You can't spill coffee on my... Okay, I'm coming down. I, I don't have... I don't have coffee. I'm messing with you. He's already, like, dived into the room and, like, grabbed, like, a, an armful of blankets and, like, started, <laughs> like, plodding his way down the stairs. <laughs> right. I'm... I, 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 I'm... That, that spell book is very important. I, I need you to not do anything... It's nope, nope. Damage it. <laughs> of course not. Keep an eye to make right. sure we don't bring any brown liquids. Good. Right. And, and you're sure they can't get in here? Well, we're not entirely sure, but, you know. Yeah. Not unless they are invited. Yeah, so, uh, if somebody comes to the door, don't answer it, and don't, if any, you see anybody you don't recognize, don't look in their eyes. He gives a vaguely kind of, like, searching look across the group of you, um, and then just kind of nods uncomfortably. 
So wait, is we all coming down here, Dan? Mm, I mean, I am. Uh, for the folks who need sleep, I think it's... I don't know. Follow your heart. Danica How am I supposed to... Well, if nothing else, uh, Erwin's receiving uh, semi-regular reports, so... We'll let you know if anything changes on the outside, at least. Thank you. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get any sleep knowing that thing's on the roof. I think I'm still a little drunk, so I'm going to pass out a bit, but I'll come downstairs with you. And uh, Metreon goes back into his room and starts to, like, scoop up all of his things and carries the blankets, pillows, and his clothing all in one handful. Yeah, Kiva would go and sort of take up position to either watch by the window. I don't know where the watches are supposed to be taking place or if she'll just be downstairs, but that's she'll be yeah. with the others then. Aerith and Deer will take up position near Lelison to kind of keep working on the spell book, but he's going to be also, you know, keeping eyes and ears open. Yeah, Lelison is going to sit um, near the spell book, but she is actually going to place herself to watch the stairway coming down all right esmeralda will uh take up a seat by the door uh you watch she kind of shoves her curls out of her face and curses quietly under her breath rubbing her eyes yeah kiva actually will go sit next to her then and keep watch with her and because she seemed a little uh not well when she was woken up abruptly so probably check in with her you hear her mumble just can't believe god's the fucking moron uh is everything all right Oh, you know, just, um, uh, you know, being an absolute idiot is all. Me, not you. No, I, trust me, I'm very familiar with being an absolute idiot. Do you want to commiserate about it? Oh, just, um, removing all the drinks that I took in the last six hours. That would be a good place to start. It is, um, gods, I knew that, uh, gods, we're in Bolivia. I can't believe I was so stupid. Uh, you don't seem very stupid to me. Is there something yes. in particular that's triggering this uh, most recent bout of self-hatred? Look, getting drunk when a vampire is hunting you and your friends is probably one of the worst things that you can do. It's certainly top five. So I appreciate the thought, but uh, these moments of um, self-loathing are informative. It won't happen again. No, they, they are. I absolutely agree, but I don't know. Um, in my experience, and I'm just a bit older than you, sometimes a night like last night is helpful to remind yourself what you're fighting for in the first place, to have more nights like this. So we can regret the hangover, but the experience itself is an overall good one. She sighs. She doesn't look entirely convinced, but she does just kind of shrug. All right, well, I suppose we should keep an eye on uh, the things that go bump in the night, yes? That's my specialty now. All right, I'll uh, do what I can to stay up for a bit. Uh, she murmurs some words, and you watch as when she blinks, uh, with a swirl of darkness around her fingers, you watch as the sclera and irises of her eyes become a jet black once more as she casts a spell. If nothing else, uh, hopefully I won't be totally useless looking out of dark windows. Well, you know, it's certainly a really creepy party trick, so... Well, you can blame Barovia for that. 
It is not my aesthetic, but uh, beggars can't be choosers, I suppose. Kiva just smirks a little bit and uses her newfound blind sight also in a 10 foot radius. Um. Beautiful. <laughs> you can hear Metreon snoring uh, as he is ducked behind the bar and made a little pallet and is crashed. You How watch many hours of sleep have we already gotten? Uh, you've gotten four hours. I guess Amity's um, in the tap room trying to get back to sleep. She's pulling some blankets. All right. Danica surveils this uh, slumber party, just kind of gives a nod to herself. All right. Well, we'll let you know if anything changes. Otherwise, um, be well. Sleep restfully. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll see you in the morning. Lillison is um, looking at the spellbook, but doesn't seem to be actually seeing it, uh, kind of just staring at the page. And after a moment, she looks over towards Erthrandir and says, I don't know if this is a sensitive question, but how much familiarity do you have with military history? See Erthendir give, like, a surprisingly genuine smile, given the circumstances. A whole lot, actually. Even before he kind of gestures vaguely at the air, you know. I did a lot of reenactments as a kid, and even after I left Ostra, they, my family always drug me to them, but I grew to enjoy them. All the battlefields and tactics and learning about names, and it was one of my favorite things. Why do you ask? Anything from the last 60 years or so? Mm, yeah, yeah, I've, uh, I've kept up to date. There's not much else to do in my cabin but read. She stares at her hands for a while and then finally takes a deep breath and says, Are you at all familiar with the works of a tactician named Isaides Winterstar. Is Erthrandir at all familiar with the works of a tactician named Isaides Winterstar? Uh, that's a question for Kaya. No, I think this is a question for Dragna. Hmm. I would say, roll me a history check. Gotcha. 16. 16. All right. Unfortunately, just kind of thinking on it for a few moments, you the name has some familiarity to you. Um, you recognize the name as, uh, aristocratic in some nature. There's some sort of nobility associated with it. Um, but as for the specifics, either it's too late or too distant uh, a name for you to truly recall. Uh, it's ringing a bell, but it's not a very loud one. Could you illuminate me? 
I wish I could. Well, I wish I knew more, is perhaps what I should say. What's the context? If that is a loaded question. Everything, and she glances around and lowers her voice even further. Everything I know about tactics and strategy, which apparently is very different from tactics, and the sort of thought that is required comes from his writings, and I cannot remember nearly as much as I would wish right now. I'm I'm sorry. Is it a case of the books that you referenced off of were lost or just don't have access to them anymore? Well, I was thinking it was mostly a case of me being panicked and perhaps not having enough sleep. But Also that. <laughs> it is frustrating. If we were back in If we were back in Neverwinter, many things would be different, would they not? Yeah, I would have. <laughs> I would have gone to my little meeting I had set up and probably would have never seen any of you ever again. God, that's something to think about. I'd hate that. Would you actually? Yes, of course I would. I'd. Wouldn't have gotten to meet any of you. And like, of, of course, I'd rather not be stuck in Barovia, but I, I guess I value what I've gained more than what I've lost, presuming we can actually get out of here. Amity is a very lovely girl. Of course, but I'm not just talking about her. I'm talking about all of you. You're very... Uh, <laughs> I know every time I bring this up with Kiva or Metreon, they give me the we're not actually friends, even if we are trying talk, but I do... I, I like y'all quite a bit. You're... You've done a lot for me, and I haven't really had friends like that in a very long time. Wilson smiles, but it's like a pretty awkward smile. I, I understand if you don't want to, like, make this all mushy, but yeah, so I mean it. But at any rate, this historian, or this tactician, like, what? You say you can't remember his strategies. Do you mind giving me, like, the broad strokes? What was his... You know, everybody's got some they're known for. What was his thing? Or her. I don't know the name. His. And it was all about caution and gathering information and evaluating your own strategies based on what you expect your enemy will do in response. Nudging them into certain responses that will be ultimately detrimental to them. The corner of his mouth quirks. No, I can't see how that how you would use that at all. No, no, sir. That no, it sounds very wise. 
Well, I hope with a little more sleep that you can remember what you've forgotten and that... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't illuminate things. I mean, I honestly wasn't truly expecting you to know the name at all, so... But what of all of the historical tacticians and strategists you know of? Is there any particular one that whose philosophies you subscribe to? He laughs. Well, uh, historical is a bit of a stretch, but all things are a stretch in kind of immortal terms. But yeah, no, uh, a mentor of mine, actually, named Christoph Goldfels. I, uh, I base most of my ideas off of him. And what sort of strategy did he favor? That the presence of a weapon or an option can pollute your thinking. That just because there is something that you can do doesn't make it just because an option's in your toolbox doesn't mean that you are obligated to always have to consider it. There's... That you can choose. That you can work as hard as you can and do everything you can to try and win and still make choices about what you do or don't allow. That, uh... He was a... Well, he was a bard like me, you know, except way better. Like he could <laughs> raise the dead and travel to different planes and all that. But he never really used his magic. He'd peel occasionally if he was in a good mood or show off a few illusions if some kids recognized him in the street. But he always said that if you can't get by without with... He kind of, Deer looks down. He's kind of, he's a little misty-eyed. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm starting to forget. It's been a long time. Is this the man who you said would cast perhaps three spells and two of them were to light and extinguish his fire? <laughs> yep, yeah, that's the one. I mean, till the war came, then uh, obviously... A lot more were healing, and a lot more were teleportation, and then the rest were, uh... <sighs> He's, he looks very grim. Well, they were... Now the council always tried to convince him that he needed to pitch in the war effort in a different way, that, you know, with his capabilities, that he ought to be on the battlefield doing what casters do. But he didn't. And it's that's the reason I'm alive. That's the reason that anyone got out of Austria is alive. So, uh, yeah. I respect knowing when what you do can't make a difference and when, when it can. I assume that he could have had access to magic that might poison other people's minds <laughs> and oh, chose giddy. not to. You, you're a little too confident in that. Am I that easy to read? 
Suffice to say that you have had very strong opinions and that your very strong opinions have been noted. And she sort of <laughs> glances towards where Metreon is, like, you know, sleeping behind the bar. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he taught me that, but it wasn't him who reinforced that. That was uh, somebody else. I see. Yeah, Noah. <laughs> Between my tactician and yours, we might get a neat balance of... We can be a bit of a monster to win, but, you know, we choose the kind. Everything does come down to choices, does it not? And sometimes all the choices are terrible. Yep. Like whether to try and sleep or keep studying in the hope that you'll get some sort of power that'll help you get out of this jam. Though in this instance, I might recommend that you replace the book with an actual pillow. Well, I suppose there's no reason why both of us should have to stare at this at the same exact time, so... Yeah. Good night, Lillison. Good night friend I and Erthrandir turns away but there's a tear in the corner of his eye as he kind of buries himself in the book again Wilson turns away to uh, roll out her bedroll and there is a tiny smirk on her face <laughs> <laughs> All right, and with that, uh, if all of you are turning in, uh, if Kiva and or Erthrandir would like to make perception rolls, either both of you together or one of you with advantage. You want to try our luck for both of us without advantage? I'd say that's probably a higher percentage play. All right, let's do it. <laughs> That's an 11 for Kiva. Excellent. And a 19 for Earthrendir. There we go. Very excellent. All right. So the two of you, having finished your trancing uh, for the evening, keep a close eye uh, outside. Esmeralda staying up and assisting uh, her dark eyes, uh, almost unblinking at times to the shadowed avenue beyond. Once or twice, you glance at the window, keeping a sharp eye on the silhouette uh, crouched atop the far rooftop. But as time passes, it doesn't seem to move or to stir, and the creature that had once scrabbled outside the exterior wall of the inn does not seem to return. Hours pass, and slowly, the as the sky begins to lighten, you take a glance back outside of the window, and the crouching silhouette is gone. Yeah, Kiva would, um, anyone else that's awake, probably the Martikovs or as would just point that out, that seems to be clear. Yeah. I think Erythrandir's already packed to go once the others wake up. And slowly, as you keep a wary eye out, but nonetheless... Relax somewhat, some of the tension leaving, though some lingering as 
a thing's absence may only be evidence that you can't see where it's gone, but nonetheless, as the day continues to lighten, as night recedes and morning approaches, you slowly feel that tension leave your shoulders as the gray light begins to emerge and your friends begin to stir, awakening from their improvised beds. Uh, as morning comes uh, to Milwaukee. Well, what happened last night? Is everybody all right? We're all alive. And there is a remarkable lack of vampire outside the window, so uh, honestly, you're waking up at a great time. It's a great morning, then. Oh, shit, except for this. And uh, you see him kind of grip his forehead uh, in uh, anguish. Uh, hey, listen, I'm a... I'm gonna go get changed. What when, when we heading out? Yeah, whenever y'all are ready. So like, probably an hour. I think we're all hungover. How do you how do you elves hangover? It's just like you're trying to trance, but it's like the headache just keeps intruding. You're just trying to think thoughts of your ancestors and of times past, but then you're just intense reminder of how you took a triple shot off of someone's back yesterday. Kiva just looks like could not be me. She slept fine. Or trans fine. <laughs> and he wakes up with bleary bloodshot eyes. Uh, is it still out there? She's it's also gone. going to the spirit table, by the way. Nice. Everything is fine. And I have a kettle of hot water for people who want something. Hot water and sugar, right? Look, it's not my fault I was a... Okay, it's entirely my fault I was a softy to Casimir, but yeah. Speaking of uh, Casimir, isn't that where we're dropping off? And she just sort of points over in Victor's general direction. Yeah, I got a, something I need to ask him first. Is Victor awake? Uh... You don't hear any motion coming from his room, no. Okay. Yeah, I, speaking of which, I gotta go ask him something. So, uh, if I come out of that room and start trying to do anything stupid, presume I've been mind-controlled and snapped me out of it. Have you been mind-controlled What, what sort time? of stupid things have you been, like, is different than the normal things? Earthwinder just, like, gives her a look for a solid five seconds. Kiva holds up a hand and just says, it was just, you walked into it. You opened the door and you said, come on in, Kiva. And so I followed. I went, I went right in. Yes. And now I'm shutting it. Just bad. Something that's bad and uncharacteristic. Just, you'll know. I get kind of really empty look in my eyes. It's not, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to see it. But yeah, I'm going to go up and ask him that. All right. As you do, uh, you um, make toward the stairs and you almost trip over Victor, who you now see had kind of wrapped himself into this strange sort of blanket cocoon at the very base of the staircase. You're not entirely sure how he wound up here, given the number of yards from where he started when you last saw him. But you kind of your foot nudges against him and he just kind of jolts beneath you, twisting. And then a moment later, you hear the moan of someone who has rediscovered just how much he truly hates being alive. <laughs> Earthrendeer, who's entirely too chipper for this time of morning, reaches down to help him up. 
Welcome to the land of the living. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> Most people do at this time of morning. Uh, you want you want breakfast? If it's anything good, sure. Uh, he casts a look backward at hardtack, hot water, and dried fruit. I'll see what the Mardikovs can rustle. Also, uh, no, maybe bit early for this, but had a quick question for you. What is it? The pea lowers his voice. The folks that from your teleportation circle, the ones that you tested, could you tell me their names? Uh, but the servants, I, I suppose. Why? I meant mean to let their family know that their family's not going to be coming back. They, At the moment, I presume they just think they're missing. And even if it's not much, knowing that they are dead means they can start getting a inch of closure. Well, I don't know anything about the families. I mean, I can tell you their names. Um, but they mostly just stayed downstairs in the servants' quarters. People have families, even if you don't see them. Okay, well, I mean, the butler was Vladislav, and my mother kind of pauses and frowns. Not looking sad, but momentarily a bit twisted. The lady-in-waiting, I think her name was Katerina. Gotcha. I'll, and if you don't know where they live, then I'll ask the Mardikovs, I'll do some asking around. <sighs> Thank sure. you. Sure. Alright. That's all. Go uh, get, I'll, I'll go rustle your, I'll go get food started. You wipe the sleep out of your eyes. Right. And he sort of literally turns back toward his blankets. Um, he seemed to like start to kneel down for a moment, so he's like pondering, like wrapping himself against uh, them once more. And then he puts his knee down, and you hear like a hissing, rasping yowl uh, <laughs> as the skeletal cat like darts out from underneath the blankets, pounces up onto the chair nearby, and just kind of. It's not clear how a skeleton can hiss, but this one is certainly managing it. Yeah. The others will see Erethrin Deer walk down the stairs, kind of something very stone-faced. And he gives a thumbs up to Kiva and the rest, walks outside the door, steps outside. And then you hear a thunk as he kicks the wall just very hard. And then he comes back in. I'm done. Got some wakes Lily up. Just like bolts upright and just looks around. Uh, sorry, I uh, had to get something out. Victor very like tentatively approaches the group uh, as he does, kind of stepping toward the listen, uh, the cat that is now kind of folded itself into one of the pockets of his of his robe, kind of like puts his head out and hisses very intensely at the listen. He just kind of takes a step back and just sidles away from her. Lillison looks for a moment as if she might consider hissing back, but uh, instead just sets herself to packing up her stuff. Yeah. You can 
you continued putting your things together, preparing your items and packing up from the night's rest. Just as you're finishing up, um, you hear a cough and uh, Ismark uh, faces uh, the group of you. You see he has his own pack over his side. Uh, Irina off by the bar talking quietly with Danica. Uh, Ismark uh, coughs again and just kind of gives you a sort of uh, worn smile. Do all of you uh, have a moment? For you, yeah. Ismark, we always do. <laughs> well, I'm honored. Um, well, um, Irina and I, and I uh, talked a bit yesterday. And um, first off, I, I suppose I, I want to start off by apologizing for the wild goose chase that um, that I have led you on. Um, I, I'm eternally grateful for all that you've done to help me find somewhere that she could be safe, that we could find some place that um, we wouldn't have to worry about. Well. Mm, the man in the castle. But um, I want to apologize for being such trouble. It is, Mark. You've... You don't... We've all been operating off of imperfect information. It's not your fault that yours was imperfect in a way that caused us a bit of inconvenience. And I think you've more than made up for it with your help on the road so far. Hmm. <laughs> I appreciate uh, the kind words, but I suppose what it comes down to is that it's clear to me now that there is not really anywhere else to go. And I spoke with Irina about this, and I wanted to know what she thought and what she wanted. And we've come to an agreement that running away is not going to do us much good. And I know that I was absolutely useless um, that night the vampires detected the church. And truth be told, I don't know how much good I can be for you. I do not know magic. Uh, my sword is just a beat up bit of steel. But if it can help in any way, and if it can... Well, the way Irina put it... Um, and, you know, I wasn't sure how comfortable I felt with this, but she said, maybe I won't be safe, but at least others will be safe after me. And, you know, what I'm trying to say is that if you're looking to take that fucker down, we want to be there for it, if you'll have us. Of course we will, Ismark. I would be a bit offended if you did not. And look, none of us could have done anything against the spawn at the church that night. That wasn't you. That was something about them. You have contributed far more than any of us had a right to expect or ask of you and you have helped keep all of us safe not only in in terms of protection from bodily harm but 
and she looks kind of uncomfortable as she goes on. Reminding us why... Why it is important to care about other people. <laughs> you're going to... Uh, then you hear his voice kind of catch for a second. You, you better watch out. You're going to get me all choked up over here. <laughs> um, well, um, I'm very grateful to hear that. Um, you've been good to us, and um, we want to do what we can to help. You already have, but we if you... If you're in it for what we're in it for now, then he's not going to stand a chance. <laughs> All right. I'm about to... I've uh, been ready to take down uh, the smug smirk off his face since I first saw it, so I think it's going to be an exciting endeavor together. <laughs> I'm ready to die. <laughs> no, you're nothing not, Erfinder. You're correct, I'm not. If nothing else, as we found, there is not much place in Barovia to live. So if we are to die, we might as well choose the right spot for it. Eh? Damn straight. And at this point, you hear footsteps as Esmeralda cuts in. Yes, but it would be preferable not to die, yes? I enjoy not dying. Good, I like you. you, you, you you've got that, uh, that uh, I don't know... Some modicum of self-sustaining. That I like. As I was wondering, hmm? you mentioned something yesterday. Um, a question that you wanted to ask the doctor. Do you remember what that was about? Ah. Um, she kind of frowns uh, just a little bit. Enough to notice, but not enough to really look uncomfortable. Uh, and glances down. It was, um, well, just a few, um, a few questions I had and a few, um, strange memories that I wanted to get worked out. It's, uh, it's a bit of a personal matter. Not, there's nothing to worry about. Ah, well, I won't pry, but it seems to be something that was troubling you greatly yesterday, so... It's just, just, uh, just the alcohol, I'm sure. It, it's, it's not something I expect to get in the way of any of our efforts. Very well. Well, shall we get on the road then? I think we have, uh, someone to see about a prophecy, right? Hmm, yeah. Though we're heading by the folk, we're heading by the folks near Velaki first. Need to see Casimir. Oh, I can check in on Erebalth, it'll be good. Oh, excellent. Uh, which one was she? The... Really? I... God damn it. The, I... How did I... I... The, the girl that you saved from drowning in a lake. I'm bad with names. Give me a break. <laughs> My name's Kiva, by the way, and your name is Arthrendir. <sighs> Let's... Shut up. Shut... Shut up. I'm not doing this. It is too early. Kiva... I have a question for you as well. Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm not guilty? That is good to know, but that was not my question. Um, what does it mean when, when you were saying somebody is a 10? I didn't say that. 
Well, somebody said it last night, but what does it mean? Uh, well, um, colloquially, it's sort of like a a, a ten out of ten, or like an like an attractive person, I suppose. Means they're hot. Uh, yeah. Why? I believe I remember you saying somebody was a fifteen. Is that does it scale linearly? Kiva, for being like a sort of blue tinted person, just sort of like flushes a little bit. And uh, she says, well, I mean, sometimes you meet people that are just above and beyond the scale. Yeah. No, to my memory, you were referring to someone in this room, too, though. A little foggy. Can't think of who. Kiva suddenly like steals herself and she's like, look, um, if the person who I was referring to uh, is appreciative of it, those kind of compliments can keep going. But if not, I think we should really get on the road, you know? Well, I didn't expect you to be so kind, but thank you. I haven't heard that in a while. She just gives, like, a little bit of a look at Esmeralda and smirks, and she says, Yeah, exactly, Arthur and Dura. I was talking about you the whole time. But, but how do you measure where... Look, hmm. I can explain this to you as we go, if you'd like. I can draw some pretty nice pictures for you. Yes, I think diagrams would help. Oh, I've got tons of those. <laughs> I, I want to get in on these diagrams. How old are you again, Amity? Uh, I'm going to be 21 in like a few days now. I actually. All right, so I, I won't. I won't scar you for life with my diagrams. Then that's that's. Uh, no. Those are not the sort of diagrams I was thinking of. My that's God. the best way to quantify it. I mean, I feel like those diagrams are the ones that people would be most interested in trying to figure out, like sort of number scales, right, Metreon? You probably seen those diagrams over. before. What's going on over here? Uh, we're talking diagrams. about diagrams. Yeah, diagrams. Scientific diagrams. Uh, yes, Every I, girl's I had one in a that. life. <laughs> She's like, this is why I need Metreon down here, because he's the one that understands me. All of you pure souls have no idea. <laughs> ah, yes, yeah, certainly. Just a absolute, just beacons of honesty and, uh, Purity. Lady Paragons of virtue and and just, you know. I strength. think this conversation has progressed into something I don't understand. Matreon, are you ready yet? Is he ready? Uh, so, uh, as this was all going on, uh, Metreon had gone upstairs with all of his clothing and the blankets and whatnot, uh, kind of tossed them on the bed, uh, and sits there looking into his compact mirror and his disguise kit and for a few moments just tries to concentrate on what he dreamt about last night the vision that he saw in the window the the maybe the, the whether it was a dream or a hallucination maybe just the, the lighting of the candle the way it flickered and as he does so he's going to go ahead and mask him in a mask of many faces himself into the thing that he saw in his dream uh, does. Uh, I don't know if there's like a spell signature that Barovia would do to make it 
something else but uh uh his skin is, is basically just changes into this kind of tan olive complexion uh the hair goes naturally dark into that black color uh the eyes go into a dark brown and uh strangely enough there are no tattoos um but he looks at himself in the mirror kind of starts to rub his cheek very vigorously to see if it's it's real to see if it's makeup or anything like that and when he realizes that he's he's rubbing his own cheek he kind of starts to feel all over his face and when he gets to his brows he realizes that he still feels the texture of the the headband and and the nubs of the horns beneath them he kind of pauses a bit tries not to think too much of it and just in the excitement throws everything into his bag and everyone would hear him burst out of this door and start to clatter down the stairs all right, we're ready to go, then. You leaving the disguise on? Uh, yeah. So does this, like, still look like the Metreon that we know, or is it a totally different... Like, are we going to be able to recognize, or are we going to be like, who's the fucking stranger that was sleeping in Metreon's room? It looks like him when he's usually in disguise. It just doesn't okay. look like makeup. It just doesn't yeah. look like makeup. Well, hangovers look really good on you, don't they? I feel so refreshed. I feel invigorated. I'm ready to take on the day. I'll have what you're having next time. But what did you have? How are you not feeling a, a bit uh, out of it then? Well, I was trying to explain to Kaya the importance of scientific diagrams when talking about how attractive people are, but you weren't here to back me up. Oh, well, um, you know, it's really, uh, and uh, Metron turns to the others, it's really just really a, a matter of instinct, really. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm personally not so uh, cerebral about what I like. You know, I just try to, try to live in the moment, you know. Um, there's ways not- of assessing it, though. That was not at all what I was asking. I was just asking how, if the scale was from 1 to 10, how you could have a 15. Well, it's like, you know, 10 is the most attractive person you can imagine. If someone hits a 15, it means they're considerably more attractive than you could even fantasize about. It's not that complicated. Well, yeah, you know, the scale is is flexible, really. You know, we generally rate on a 1 to 10 scale, but, you know, some people go up to a 15, even maybe a 20. You never, it's it's all a matter, it's all relative, is, is I think, uh, the mathematical term for it. Yeah, yeah. if If I rate someone a 10 out of 10, then I find someone else who's, like, even hotter than... What am I going to do? I've like run out of numbers. I have to go up to eleven. Right, so go eleven out of ten. But the scale expands to fit with your experience. That becomes the new ten, and everybody else becomes. Well, no, because you've got very, you've got varying degrees of tens, right? Like with my scars and stuff, it's more of like a rugged ten, you know. But like new Metreon is like just a classically gorgeous. This is a ten, you know. What do you mean new Metreon? Well, I mean, come on, love. This looks better than any makeup you've done before. Well, you know, I, I spent the morning on it. You know, I, I took a little time to myself, uh, you know. All right, fine. So old Metreon, you know, more classically beautiful 10. We've got Amity, you know, adorable 10. And you're the mysterious serial killer 10. Wait, but I... not everyone can be a 10. That's just an adjective and then the word 10. Well, not everyone is a 10, but anyone can be a 10. Right, it's all about how you carry yourself. It's all about perception, really, you know. Uh, I may look at, at, you know, someone like uh, Victor. He points to Victor. And I don't really see a 10. But, you know, <laughs> someone else might. You know, Randy might see a 10. Perhaps we should leave some people out of the numerical discussion. How does that sound? What, Victor doesn't want to be part of the discussion? He's as hanging as out as with as us, after all. As soon as you turn toward Victor, he has this absolute look of, you know, 
confusion and dread on his face as though he was suddenly <laughs> sitting in the middle of a science class and someone picked him for dodgeball. <laughs> Victor, right. which one of us do you think is a 10? Shush! I, I, what? Kiva. Leave him alone. All right, fine. I'm just saying this sort of stuff is interesting. And if we're being over or listened to this whole time, I think we might as well give them something interesting to listen to. How right. Them... Yeah. Thanks for the reminder. Maybe we should just crack on then. That's yeah. what I've been trying to say. Party of tens. Let's go. Okay. With that, uh, enjoying a morning meal, uh, courtesy of Danica and Erwin at some point who does emerge and greet you. You finish packing your things and leave the blue water in behind as Esmeralda uh, mounts her wagon and speaks the word once more. You see the horses manifest in front of it as she seats herself in the driver's seat. All right, then. We're heading west and east, I suppose? Yep. All righty. Leads away. And with that, as you begin moving away from the inn and toward Velaki proper, leaving the central intersection behind as the gray light uh, brightens in the sky above, you hear the sound of the horses across the muddy cobblestone road as you begin to press forward toward the rest of the town and toward the gates. It's not long before you pass beyond the church, the empty places where once you saw individuals uh, speaking to the crowds, but now left behind and cleaned away. And when you reach the gates once more, you see the familiar sight of a pair of Volachian guards, but now joined by an additional two figures bearing cloaks and scimitars at their sides. They give you nods as you approach and Before they get to the gate, Erythrindir is going to ask Victor to go invisible again. Or actually, no, he'll just yes. make Victor invisible again. Gotcha. Victor is appreciative of this. Um, passing toward the gates, um, an invisible Victor trudging behind you. Um, the guards there give you a simple nod and open the old rusted iron gates as they creak. And you pass beyond, leaving the not-so-quiet town of Velaki behind as you set out once more onto the mud of the old Svalich Road. A few minutes pass as you begin making your way uh, down the slightly bending, zigzagging road up out of this part of the basin. But before long, you find yourselves on a familiar branch as several trails separate north and south of the main road, taking one that you've traveled before, southward, through the trees and the dark woods of the canopies overhead. Before long, coming out into a familiar clearing with a familiar hill at the center. And once again, we dodge the random encounter dodgeball. Uh, DM, how long is the ride over there? Oh, it is not long at all. It is perhaps okay. maybe eight minutes. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. It's not even a quarter hour. Cool. Um, but by this point, you turn and you see the the grassy, mossy hilltop. You see the uh, old uh, huts built into the side of it where you've previously seen the dusk elves. The small 
green uh, wooded hovels with uh, smoke drifting from the chimney stacks. And at the top of the hill where you see the wagon trail has led circling up to the top, you see the familiar ring of the Vistani caravans surrounding a tall red tent from which billows uh, several curtains of black smoke into the gray, foggy sky. Kiva's immediately got her eyes peeled for, for Arabal. Uh, glancing around, you don't see her immediately atop the hill. Um, you do see Esmeralda kind of like put her hands on her hips uh, as she leans back against the front of her wagon. Hmm. Well, uh, I haven't had the chance to visit uh, this particular camp yet. Well, I'll, I'll, stay, I'll, I'll, I'll stay behind with the, the wagon if it's all right, if you want to go up and head, you know, uh, to make sure that no one uh, messes with it. Oh, I don't think that would be a problem. Um, yeah. Either way, I'm not really welcome up there, so I'm probably just going to stay down here. That's fair. Uh, she turns. So, what is it, where is everyone going? What is the plan? I'm going to talk to Casimir. Any of y'all are welcome to come, but I don't expect you to. I'm going to go look for Arabelle, but uh, if you need anything, you know, you know how to contact us. Of course. Have we actually given Victor's spellbook back to him yet? Yeah. Uh, I would presume you have, or at least Victor would hope that you have. Have, uh, with all our studying of it last night, were we able to determine, like, at least what spells were in it? Uh, I would say that either of you may make an arcana check. May I make it with advantage, because Lawson is helping me? Uh, if Lillison chooses to permit it, yes. Uh, do you think you will get a better Arcana result than I will? Uh, almost certainly. Okay, yes, I will, I will aid you. Thank you. 26. Okay. So, you're not able to read the spells themselves. Um, a wizard's magic is in some ways strange to you. Um, but there are some spells that working together you are able to decode, um, not in terms of how to cast them, certainly, but, you know, reading the spells themselves and getting some sense of what they might be capable of. Um, you know, it's some familiar spells, a spell that can detect magic, um, a protective spell that Lillison you recognize is similar to your shield spell, though it's strange seeing the uh, Arcanum and the uh, these runes for actually casting it, listed down on paper. Um, you see a spell for a sort of short-range teleportation, it seems. Uh, a spell that you notice as seeming to be uh, some kind of enchantment magic. Perhaps something that can bend uh, one's another person's will to yours. You read uh, onward um, a spell that seems capable of unwinding other spells in the midst of their casting, countering their effect altogether. A spell that seems to permit flight. A spell several spells that seem to involve the use of great forces of cold and ice. You even see in a few other cases a spell capable of animating, though not raising the dead, bending them to one's will, a spell that can conjure great bursts of flame, a spell that can ward and protect with a glyph or a ward, a rune, spells capable of removing certain distortions upon someone, uh, curses that may bend their fates, 
you find a spell that can conjure great necrotic energy, another spell that can conjure great bursts of toxic gas. Altogether, it is a somewhat frightening array of practical and sheer deadly force into a simple leather-bound tome. And by frightening, you mean intriguing, right? Uh, depending on the reader, but I imagine Lillison may well be intrigued. Yeah, Erythrindir took vigorous notes. Yeah, so did Lillison. Okay, uh, with that, Victor turns toward you. Right, well, um, you said there was there was uh, someone here, some some local lord or something that you thought that I should meet? Or uh, yes. Tell you what, I'm going to nip in real quick and kind of explain what's going on, and then I'll bring you inside and introduce you. How does that sound? Sure, I, I imagine that works. Um, the, yeah. the the people at the top of the mountain, those are Vistani, right? They're, they're not going to come down and do anything while you're inside. They they will not hurt you if you do not give them cause to. He looks a little suspicious with that, uh, but nonetheless keeps his mouth shut. But yeah, all right. Barathrandir will head off to Casimir's, though inviting anyone who wants to come with to come with. All right, will anyone be joining? All right, tough crowd. Uh, Erthrandir and Victor <laughs> alone around the hill toward Casimir's uh, shack. Uh, I imagine Metreon is staying at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, he's in his chilla with uh, with uh, Ezra's cart. Amity's trying okay. to take a short rest, by the way. Not sure if there's going to be enough time, though. Uh, I would say if you'd like to take a short rest, you can. Or at least you can start beginning one. Woo! You're not sure if you'll have enough time, but you never know. Are you hanging out down with me, or are you going with with the others. Sure, I'll hang out down with Metreon. Willison yeah. will also hang out with Metreon. Gang! Right. that turns toward you and says, Right, well, if you're going to stay down here anyway, I suppose I could uh, leave my wagon, but um, do uh, make sure that nothing happens to you, all right? I would prefer it if uh, the lot of you did not go up in flames and smoke. Hmm? I'd like that too. Right, uh, she uh, pats the horses on the wagon and then murmurs, Arvesh, and they vanish. She turns to Kiva. All right, if anyone else would like to come up, I think I'd like to see uh, some of my local cousins. Otherwise, uh, Kiva leads the way. All right. Uh, Kiva's sort of like more excitedly walking up the hill uh, than anyone has probably ever seen her at the sight of potentially seeing her favorite child uh, in the world. All right, Irina and Ismark will remain behind with the others uh, at the base of the hill. So... Casimir, or not Casimir, Erthrandir. You begin making your way around the hill, uh, Victor following, heading, uh, passing. You see a few um, Dusk Elves making their way around the perimeter. Uh, one of them kind of nods, seeming to recognize you. A few of them seeming to uh, guard or looking out. You see one of them um, uh, returning from between the trees, uh, carrying what seems to be a small... Uh, bag that seems to be filled with perhaps toadstools or berries of some kind. Uh, there's a, more of a life here than where you last were. Not in the sense of a cheery place, but a place where existence does go on. Yeah. Something something of the weight that's always on Erythrindir's shoulder seems to be lifted here, and he stands up a little straighter. Alright. He goes over to the hut. Before he does, he's going to murmur a quiet 
bit of encouragement to himself and cast enhance ability. Okay. What uh, attribute? Charisma. Okay. Once more, the uh, eagle's dark feathers uh, kind of ripple across your face, your brow, and the top of your neck. Uh, Victor kind of eyeing you with a bit of intrigue and somewhat surprise. That's not a spell that I've seen before. Well, you wouldn't. I don't think you can learn it. It's a one of the perks of bardic magic. It's not all, you know, stuff that's about the world. Some of it's about people. And in this case, it's just kind of me psyching myself up and giving me, you know, the best, getting me in the best state I can be. Hmm. I'll show you sometime. But yeah, uh, I'll be out to get you in a, in a minute. Right, sure. Uh, that, that should be fine. I'll, and, I'll just stand here then. Yeah. And he'll knock on the door. Right. Uh, you knock on the door. Um, uh, and after a moment, you hear a voice from inside. Uh, come in. Erythrindir will step inside. Step inside, uh, leaving the uh, misty hillside behind as you step forward into the familiar space of Casimir's quiet cottage. In here, you can see the familiar foyer, the uh, pictures and sketches upon the walls of the woods and the elven figures. You can hear the crackling of fire from the opposite side of the curtain that hangs between this vestibule and the remainder. Uh, and as you continue passing forward, uh, leaving the vestibule behind and kind of doing your best to avoid tracking any mud into the home, you see Casimir uh, sitting at the table, uh, drinking a uh, bit of tea as he glances up and looks toward you. Well, I'll admit I hadn't expected to see you back here. Uh, is was that it? the very same? And is that a this soon or an ever, good sir? Well, I confess I didn't look too hard, but whichever it is, it's quite enjoyable. Please have a seat. I brewed uh, more than enough for myself. He he will, grinning. Yeah, no, it's very nice to see you. How have you been? Well, well, as enough as can be. Uh, it seems a good number of uh, our folk have returned after your lot did quite a good job of finding uh, the girl. Uh, one or two of my uh, men had a bit of a rough time out in the wood, but um, nothing permanent. Thank, oh, uh, well, yeah, thank Corellian. Indeed. But um, I must confess I'm a bit curious. I wasn't expecting to see you. But, uh, have you returned uh, regarding... Uh, my last request. Uh, partially, but I admit that's not the whole of things. I, uh, unfortunately, as much as I'd like to say this is just a social call, it isn't. I, I have a favor I'd ask of you. He kind of leans forward, uh, the steam from the tea kind of drifting up past his face. Well, uh, do go on. 
in Velaki, there's recently been a violent regime change. You know, the kind. Fortunately, fairly bloodless from what I can see, but still pretty nasty business. And while I was dealing with all that, I've, I'd struck up a relationship with the son of the old leader, the Baron. Not sure if you're at all familiar. And uh, personally, no. Well, they were bringing his family out to die, and I rescued him as best I could. But, and I was thinking, with the life I'm living and the fact that we've more or less committed ourselves to, after recent, recent events, putting an end to the vampire, I was wondering if you might be able to house him for a few days. I I know it's a lot to ask, and I'm not expecting that you have the capability or even the willingness to say yes, but I know that if he stays with me, if I try and keep a watch over him, then, well, I'm a vampire magnet, and he will not be safe. Hmm. Well... I can understand, I suppose. Um, you watch as his eyes uh, drift up to the tapestry behind you of the beautiful lush green wood, and a shade of sadness passes over his eyes for a moment. Uh, I haven't been in the same position, but I've seen what happens to those uh, in some cases where... Well, uh won't ask uh, what may have been done to trigger this... Uh, particular transfer of power, nor will I do the indignity of asking you uh, whether this uh, individual might have been involved in anything, but I've seen what can happen violence finds its target. If it'll help, I don't mind, but uh, well, yes. If it can help, uh, I don't mind, but I don't know that I can do it for too long. No, I understand. I wasn't expecting you. <laughs> I, I know. I just wanted to make sure that in the... it's It literally happened yesterday for him. I wanted him to have somewhere safe and okay that he could process things before he decides what he's going to do next. Where he's not going to be constantly worrying about life or death. Hmm. He nods. How old is he? I haven't asked. 16 or 17, I think. Human, so... Young even for them. <sighs> you watch as, as he thinks of that, his eyes and his expression harden. In this kind of grim uh, regard. And he just nods firmly. Right. I'll take him in. I can't say for long, but... Of course. That's what you need and, to find him, a safer place. Yeah. And a warning before you fully make your decision. He's a mage. A fledgling one, but very powerful. And I don't think he'd have cause to hurt you, but... He... Perhaps hasn't had the moral grounding that 
he maybe should have with that level of power if you catch my grift catch my drift he raises an eyebrow at this well I suppose that is something to I appreciate you letting me know I should be able to uh, keep an eye on him I'm somewhat confident he shouldn't be able to pull anything on me and if he tries to well I'm sure that the boy's got his own slice of power but I dare say that I might have had a bit more practice Erythrindir leans forward do you now in a matter I was not aware he kind of you know leans back in his seat and kind of like rubs his finger along one of the knuckles of his uh, right hand. You see there a small gold ring uh, that seems to uh, have at its peak instead of a jewel or an inset a what seems to be a carving of two small white-furred foxes curled up against one another. He regards it for a moment and then nods. Well, I uh, had the fortune of uh, picking up a bit from my sister. She was always the prodigy, but uh, in the time that I've had you pick up a thing or two, and a thing or two becomes a bit more. Truth be told, I'd been hoping to put it to some use at some point, but one man alone can't uh, do all too much. Though I am sure that it's certainly enough to keep an eye on an adolescent young human. Yeah, no, that uh, does make me feel much better. If you're, If you've got that level of competence, then you might be the best person to watch him right now. And I do. Thank you so much. I I just didn't want to see somebody else have to go through what I went through without help. Nobody deserves that. I appreciate that. Um, I understand that um, what we've seen of our people, we uh, do what we can to prevent uh, occurring elsewhere. Though, um, if you wouldn't mind before... Um, before you uh, bring the boy in. You mentioned, uh, well, that you're still having a bit of a vampire problem. Is that correct? <laughs> that is the understatement of the millennium, but yes. I, uh, <laughs> though we, we met him again in Kresk. He tried to get me to murder my girlfriend. It was a time I stabbed him in the throat. His eyebrows go way up into his forehead <laughs> this time. That is... <laughs> you stabbed Strahd von Zerovich in the throat. He looks a little bashful. No, I'm, was... I'm not doubting you. I'm not, I, I'm not doubting you. But, um... <laughs> well... Seems that you've been living a bit of an interesting life. At least, uh... Around these mists. It's a mix between exhilarating and absolutely awful. I don't quite know how to feel about it. If I uh, might ask, what are your plans after you uh, cast off from the boy? We're heading to the other group of Istani. There's some folks, somebody that we've been told about, a woman named Eva, that they say can see the future. That the companion we picked up seems to think that if we are intent on killing this man and Regrettably, I think I am. Then we need all the guidance we can get. Hmm. Ava. That's a name I've heard a few times over the centuries. But, um, Wait, centuries? 
Isn't she? Well, aren't most Vistani human? Well, Vistani are their own thing, in a manner of speaking. From an aesthetic sense, and perhaps an anatomical one, human certainly seems adequate, but um, some caravans take in uh, quite more beyond simple humans. I've seen half-lin Vistani, I've seen um, met a half-giant once. Not in Barovia. Ah, but, um, makes sense, makes sense. But um, the Vistani themselves, it's not a a people so much as a, a way of life. And, uh, well, one who uh, travels the lost roads as they do. Well, time works a bit differently around them. Understood. Also horrifying, but understood. And, oh god, am I going to come out of Barovia and it's going to be 800 years later? I... Well, I am no uh, arcane uh, theoretician. Uh, I should hope not, but... <laughs> Fair enough. Regardless, I've, I've heard enough word to uh, suggest that this uh, Ava might be uh, certainly reliable. She has a bit of a reputation from what I can glean from uh, our friends on the hill. But yeah, uh, that's the plan for the moment. From there, uh, depends on what she says, I suppose. Well, you're thinking that um, she might uh, know a way out of Barovia, or are you looking for something a little more direct? We're going to kill him. Or we're going to die trying. Well, now ain't that just something indeed. I'll tell you what. I don't want to keep you. I'm sure you're busy and you've got a... If you're heading toward Ava's camp, then you've got a, a few miles to go before dark, but... If that is what you decide on doing, I'd ask that, um... You return after speaking with her. I have knowledge, uh, There's a little something that I've seen over the years, something I've been looking into myself that might be able to, uh, help you. If taking the bastard down is something you're interested in. What is it? He uh, gives you a bit of a tight smile. It's an old place, an old uh, temple, as such, frozen up toward the peak of Mount Gacchus. I've been investigating it myself for a few years now. And, um, well, I, be I can certainly share more when your friends are here. I wouldn't want to go too much. Uh, I know that they're... Uh, vital members of your uh, companionship. But suffice it to say that um, I have reason to believe that uh, well, the secret to um, freeing Barovia and perhaps uh, taking certain things away from the devil might be found there. So, you think about that. Deer is going to try and see if he's telling the truth. Make an insight check. 18. 18. You don't get the sense that he's lying as such. Um, looking into his eyes, you see a certain interest. Um, not deception as such, but uh, an eagerness. Almost a bit too much of a casual affect. 
Earthendeer smiles, but it doesn't meet his eyes. Well, that is certainly something to hear about. Yeah, Indeed. no, we'll we'll be back through, and I'll bring my companions, and we can see if we'll yeah see what's what. Of course, you know we do have have to deal with the minute life and death of staying alive, so we may not be able to attend to it immediately, but I'd be happy to hear you out. Of course, and uh, I will. I have my own reasons for going there. There's uh, certain things there that might help uh, with um, some of the troubles I've had with my sister, but it's an old place, and uh, well, like I said, I visited there a few times. I think that uh, there might be something there that could prove uh, quite useful in your endeavors. So, think about it. Uh, would there be anything about possibility of information there? That is, uh, it's possible. It's an old place. Um, it's possible that, uh, well, information about uh, Zarevich's pact, the way he forged the state he is today, it might be up there. Understood. Um, from what I can tell, it seems to be a place where a lot of secrets were kept. Whatever order or institution first directed it. I can, I can tell. I've not ventured far in. But... And, well, I've not ventured too far in. There are some dangers, a bit of a ways beyond the front doors. But there must be something past there that's worth guarding. Well... I appreciate you letting me in the know. And, of course, for uh, taking in the kid. I, I, it's a weight off my mind. Of course. Anytime you need. Um, well, I'll try not to ask you for babysitting too much. I appreciate it. It's not exactly my forte. Uh, but if you'd like to bring the boy in, uh, what was his name again? Victor. Victor. Right. Mm-hmm. Surname? Velakovich. Victor Velakovich. All right. I know. Nice and alliterative. It's good taste. I can appreciate that. Well, not a case you'd uh, better bring him in. Of course. And Marathon Deer will step outside and motion for Victor. All right. Victor kind of starts when he sees you as he kind of, you know, has been leaning against the side of the uh, shack. Uh... Oh, um, right. I, I can come in then. Yep, come on in. He somewhat uncertainly steps into the vestibule past you and kind of scrutinizing the curtain, just kind of pushes it aside. Uh, Casimir now standing, uh, gives him a nod. Good to meet you, um, Casimir Velikov. Uh, I hear that you're Victor, I'm looking for a bit of a place to stay. Victor looks around at the uh, admittedly comfy, very well-kept uh, hovel, but hovel nonetheless, with something between, you know, horror and kind of glum acceptance. <laughs> yes, um, that, that's that's what um, he told you, I think. Casimir nods and turns to Erthrandir. Right, well, we'll do what we can to uh, keep you comfortable while you're here. Um, imagine... Uh, your friends should be back here 
in a matter of time. Am I right, Ethan, dear? Yeah, we'll we'll be back. Don't worry. And Victor. Yes. Good luck. Uh, I'll be back through. This won't be the last time you see me, but he's he's a good man. He you'll and I have faith. You're smart. You're capable, and you'll you don't have to know what you're doing now, but when you're ready, you'll figure out what you need. I promise. He looks at you curiously for a moment and then nods. Right. Well, um, yes. Good. Take care, you two. Be safe. We shall. Casimir offers you a wave. Safe travels on the roads. Uh, hoping you find what you're looking for and hope to see you soon. Here's hoping. And as you turn away, you see a uh, small white feline skull poke itself out of Victor's pocket. And you see Casimir's expression change to a look of, oh, God, what have I gotten myself into? And then the curtain falls behind you. Excellent. Meanwhile, back outside, ascending the hill. Kiva and Esmeralda. Uh, you begin slowly making your way up the wagon trail toward the top of the hill, passing your way between the wagons, stepping over the mounds of horse dung as the riding horses anchored to poles, uh, standing there and snorting, exhaling uh, large puffs of hot breath into the cold, misty air. Esmeralda gives the horses a thoughtful eye, uh, but follows you forward. Are you heading toward the tent? Where are you going? Yeah, I think she would head towards the tent first and look for Luvash because she's probably uh, nearby him, I would assume. Uh, it's still been a few days, I think, since she was missing, so I can't imagine he'd leave her out of his sight. Okay. Um, Esmeralda uh, follows you. You pass into the tent, and there you see the uh, several campfires burning, flickering. Uh, you see the smoke rising up. You see a number of Vistani that have gathered here, um, a few by the fires, uh, playing cards or otherwise socializing. You see a few others that um, appear to be stocking bits of firewood by one of the walls of uh, the tent. Um, otherwise, you can see uh, just off to the side of one of the uh, uh, larger campfires, just faintly through the haze of the smoke. Um, not Luvash, but Aragal. His uh, goatee smartly uh, pulled to a point at the bottom of it. His uh, brown. Uh, another man uh, just beside the campfire. Yeah. Yeah. Holds up a finger uh, as he hears you approach um, to the uh, person he's been speaking with and turns to face you. Uh, good morning, I guess. Uh, I was just wondering. Um... We were in town uh, on the way, and I just um, wondered if Arabelle was around uh, Luvash, I guess. Aragol uh, kind of furrows his brow. Luvash is uh, taking care of a few tasks at the moment. Um, why, is there something that uh, you were looking for my brother to do for you? Uh, no, I... I like I said, I was I was looking for Arabelle, um, but I figured he probably had her around him. 
Uh, if not, it's not the end of the world. I just um, wanted to say hi. Make a persuasion check. Ah, Kiva's specialty. Believe in the me that believes in you. Fuck! That's a four? Four. Um, Ariel shrugs. He's, um, as I said, he is a bit preoccupied. Uh, Arabelle is as well. Um, perhaps come back later. Uh, all right. Thanks. And she'll just as, sort of... As you kind of take a step back, as Meralda clears your throat. Right, um, if I might ask, um, sorry, what was your name? Aragal, yes? He grunts with a nod. Yes, um, if I might ask him, a bit curious, uh, where is your Ronnie? I have not uh, seen her. Aragal turns and gives her a kind of deadpan look. You are strange, then. The old ones are dead. If you're looking for Ronnie, then, well, me and my brother are all that matters in that case. Why? Some things you want, cousin? Esmeralda looks a bit taken aback and just shakes her head. No, no, it's um, nothing. It was just a bit curious as all, uh, you know, cultural exchange and all. You have uh, beautiful horses outside. Um, you seem to be doing quite well for yourselves. Even in the absence of, um, well, she raises an eyebrow at him and Herigle scoffs. Right, well, if that is all, then I have business to attend to. Kiva gives just sort of a, a bitchy look at his business to attend to and just uh, leaves the tent then. Damn it. Esmeralda grunts, well, certainly explains a bit about them. Oh, the fact that he's a huge asshole? Well, the fact that um, the elders... I don't imagine you've noticed, but I can't imagine that any of the folk in that camp are over middle age. Uh, what happened to them? Did they all just die out, or...? It's possible. I should hope that it was by natural means, but... I don't know, there's something about uh, that one, Ergul. Puts me a bit on edge. You've met him before? Yes, we, um had to briefly deal with him when we were tasked to go uh, rescue Arabelle, so we were supposed right. to get a way out of here from them. Uh, it turns out that they were selling nothing more than, uh, you know, magic potions in a bottle made of, you know, whatever. Hmm. I've heard something like that. Um, I have heard that um, many of the, uh, many of my people in this area, um, are, um, well, more than sympathetic to uh, Zarevich, but him especially. I would, I don't know where his loyalties lie, but he's dangerous. If you see him again, you should keep an eye on him. There's something in his eyes, I don't like the look of it. Yeah, I don't like it either. Luvash seemed a bit more persuadable, but he's, Aragold just seems, something's not right, so. We didn't try to stick around too long after we rescued her. Hey, well, sorry that um, the girl wasn't around. You seem to be looking forward to meeting her. She reminds me of someone, so I just was uh, looking to check in, but um, 
anyway, uh, that was all I wanted to do here. Uh, should we go back? Of course. Um, let's uh, join the others. And she follows you down the hill uh, yeah. to rejoin the wagon. All right, is there anything the others down at the bottom of the hill would have liked to have been doing during this uh, impromptu short rest? Vibing? Uh, beyond that, uh, not particularly. Just kind of keeping an eye out. And uh, what is what are Amity and Lillison's passives? Uh, perception, insight? Uh, 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 perception. Turns out it's a 10, actually. I believe it is a... Wow, I cannot find anything on this new character sheet. It's just 10 plus your perception mod. 14. From memory, I think it listens. It's 15? 14. Cool. So then, yeah, Lillison would probably notice that Metreon has been looking in his hand mirror uh, a lot more often than he usually does. Matreon. Oh, uh, yeah. What... What do you think is required for somebody to be a ten? Well, you know, it's a lot about, you know, the way you carry yourself. Uh, uh, yeah, sometimes it's build, sometimes it's, uh, you know... Uh, uh, well, well, why do you ask? Is it something that one can evaluate for themselves accurately or is this something where you have to each evaluate for other people it's relative you know so if you uh, you know if you ask uh, Amity what she thinks is a, a 10 it's probably going to be a lot different than uh, what I think is a 10 and same would be for you and everybody else so uh, for Kiva and myself uh, as is a 10 because she's, you know, uh, she's beautiful and cool and talented and kind and has this cool wagon and uh, beautiful. Um, Does one's possessions come into this count then? Well, that's a whole different thing then. You know, you, you can be with a, a three, but if, you know, if they're well to do, you know, you can convince yourself they're a ten and, you know, hope that they leave you something in the will. Ah, oh, that does make sense. I've made many threes think the tens, though. You know. Well, naturally, you don't tell people that they are threes. That would be insulting. Well, it's true. Yeah, well, unless you do want to insult them. Yes, but that's... Uh, that's a more blunt instrument than is really called for most of the time. Well, you know, some people like blunt instruments, some people like to cut with precision. Do you think you're a 10? Metron pauses and bites the tip of his tongue a bit. You have been looking at that mirror for a very long time now, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, it's not often that I have this good a makeup day. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just uh, smiling over it, you know, just uh, having a good old time while we, you know, sit on our asses here and wait for. Everybody else? What about you? Do you think you're a 10? Does, does your number change depending on how well you put on your makeup? Well, I mean, 
you know, numbers aren't hard and fast. They can fluctuate. You know, some days you might feel like a 10 and others you may feel like a 1. Just kind of depends on, again, how you're carrying yourself, how you're feeling. So one's number for oneself might be different than the number that other people assign to you and it doesn't matter what number you are under the makeup as is it am i getting this right i'm not sure i'm following well what number do you think you are without the makeup hey i asked you first what you, what number you thought you was you didn't answer so you answer me and i'll answer you I'm, Emily, I'm, Emily, you went to us too. What, what's your number? Oh, uh, uh, all right. But is, is 10 actually the maximum here? Like we're not going, rating out a 15 secretly or anything. Well, I mean, if you feel like you're a 15, say you're a 15. I'm definitely not a 15. Well, there you go. Um, I think Dear would beg to disagree. Oh, well, I mean, probably. I mean, you know... He, he would probably assign himself like a lower number because of his scar, right? But, he, it, you know, he'd be wrong. That would accord with what we've seen of him, yes. Um, I, I feel like if I have to pick a number for myself, it would be like seven? But also, I mean, there's... I'm, I, I'm biased here because I feel like if I say a number that's too big, it'll sound like I'm bragging. But if I say a number that's too small, then it'll sound like I'm just being self-deprecating for the face of it. You're among friends here, pet, right? So if you feel like you're a seven, then you're a seven. Yeah, to, to Randy, you're All probably right. a 10 or a 20, maybe even a 30. I don't know. All right. I, I, I want to say that to myself that I'm an eight. All right, now you have to do your numbers. All right, nope. I still do not understand this system. Just give it a go. No, if I if I give a number, it is meaningless because there's no correct intention behind it. I think you should give me a number. Well, numbers are meaningless anyway. I mean, you know, what a day. They, they are do. not meaningless. I mean, they're just a bunch of things you put together and things happen. Yeah. You know, yeah, what is anything, really? I mean, everything's just kind of whatever, right? Nothing is real. All right, fine. Uh, you're probably, I'd say, kind of looks you over a bit, looks you up and down. Hmm. I'll give you maybe like a solid eight and a half, nine. Well, listen's eyebrows go way up. I mean, you're fit, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're right, bird, you know, and uh, very clearly intelligent, and, uh, you, you know, you might, you still might be a ghoul, but you, you hide it really well. I assure you, I am not a ghoul. Okay, I'm sorry, ghast. Or a ghast. Okay, well, white. I... <sighs> I'm just, I'm just pissing on you now, it's fine. I thought that you were perhaps flattering me, but now I see that is not the case. I'm, I'm flattering you. Listen, you, you, like I said, you're fit. You're right. You're, you're, you're good to go. Oh, 
Why, why are you so suddenly all worried about numbers? I mean, I think I read once that if someone's just sort of very classically beautiful, like if they're, you know, an, an eight or nine across the board, then that might actually be like worse for them than if they're sort of beautiful in a weird way, like tens to some people, but maybe like four or fives to others. But I mean, it seems like you're, you're worried about these numbers. Really? Oh. You'd be a good number. I'm... I'm not worried. It's just, this is the first time I've come across the concept of it, and it's very strange that everybody else seems to think that they know exactly what they're talking about, and yet everybody's take on it is so different. Well, did you not like grow up with other kids, like, your age? Like, what? I, I mean, I did somewhat, but this was not the sort of thing that ever came up. Well, you grow up in, like, a easier. convent, a monastery? Metrion. A library? Metrion. At this Metrion. point, you hear footsteps approaching from the hill as you see uh, slightly salty looking Kiva and uh, Esmeralda making their way down the hill toward the way. Oh, very highly salty looking Kiva. Wilson pitches her voice up a little bit so that uh, Kiva and Ez can hear. Metrion, I think you are 6.5 out of 10. Hey, listen, that's your opinion. That's fine. I know my worth. <laughs> Kiva, like, perks up a little bit, but is just, she, she's just so fucking sad right now. <laughs> What's on with you? What's, did you see her? No, uh, Aragol is refusing to cooperate, even just to say hello to a little girl. So I guess this was fuck all useless. Oh, sorry, pet. Well, maybe you can come back next time. Kiva, now that I know that different possessions or situations can affect something, I would say that you're a seven most of the time, but nine when you have your scimitar out. That does actually <laughs> make Kiva smile a little bit. Um, that's uh, very kind of you to say. Um, did that come from a, a good thing, or did I walk in at an awkward point in the conversation? Wilson glances over to Amity. Am I am I doing this right? Um, I I mean, it, you understand the concept of like a scale, right? Like you could rate foods on a scale of one to oh, ten. Yes. And color. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I I mean. I don't know. Um, it, I guess it's what hard I'm really do this wrong. What's, what's the what's the purpose? What are you trying to do with your compliment? I'm I'm trying to figure out how this works. Oh, see, I thought you were trying to ask me out to dinner. Uh, well, in that case, you know, you're doing a good job. I guess it's just you know, uh, keep complimenting people, I suppose. But I mean, pre presumably, we're going to have dinner at some point, or is that also a number somehow? Why would it's it not be a, a number. number. It's just, it's just, Why would it be a number? It's just. I mean, have you never been out on like a date with someone? No. Oh really? Oh well, that that explains all of this then. I still think she grew up in a monastery. Maybe. A I'm starting to see that that might be the case. I mean, I'm not saying the life in the thieves' guild was like you know all debauchery and stuff, but like I, I mean, people went on dates and people 
flirted with you. I don't, I'm, I'm not understanding. Am I the bad person here? Like, am I the corrupt one? No. It's not when you hear footsteps weird. approaching and you see Erythrindir returning from the other side of the hill. Evening. What the fuck are y'all talking about? Did Lillison tell you that she grew up with, like, nuns or something? I did not grow up with nuns. What did you grow up with? I mean, Erythrindir, like, you know what a date is, right? Like, you've uh, been on a date? I mean, yeah, fair few. Okay, so you know that, like, there's, like, going out to dinner with a friend, and then there's, like, going out to dinner with someone. Yeah, but that's not for everybody, I guess. We're not saying it's for everybody. We're just wondering, you know, because clearly Lillicent's uh, got a gap in her knowledge, so we're just trying to fill it in. Erythrindir, what number do you want to be? <laughs> <laughs> I will take a respectful eight. I was going to give eight to Amity. I'll take a 7.5. She's obviously hotter. If you insist, you get to be the 7.5. He was just holding up ten fingers at Irina and, like, laughing. Where's our 15 at? She's right here. Oh, yeah. Amity's right here. Oh. Not talking about Amity with this in love. No offense, Amity. you aren't. I mean... But come on. And she just sort of like makes the like, uh, it's hot fanning thing. She's trying to make Esmeralda smile. Is it working? As Esmeralda coughs and says, well, um, I've heard stories about an apple of discord, but I think this is the first time I've heard about the statistical charts of discord. Um, <laughs> not that I'm not flattered. And she does seem to be fighting back a smile. Yes, please let us leave now. Yes. Okay. We, we, is this you know who would be the perfect person to ask minutes. about hotness scales is probably this Madam Ava. I think she knows better than anyone, right? Yeah, I wonder if she's like a... What do you think she is? Maybe a 10 or a 7? I mean... As you want to fill us I'm in going on to, I'm going I'm to start walking and y'all are welcome to catch up to me. As Peralta will chuckle, step over toward her wagon and whisper, Trovash, and uh, immediately begin preparing the horses to follow. Uh, right and proper 15 right here, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, yes, you're clap, all very attractive. <laughs> we know. Keep and, Metreon golf clapping in the corner. Yeah, Metreon helps her onto the seat next to him. Uh, did, is that just enough time for a short rest, or do we have to talk about numbers some more? Um, I would say that if you'd like, um, it, it, you can see that Amity's been kind of you know resting for the past 20 minutes or so. Um, if you'd like, you can spend a little more time here to finish out the hour and just kind of you know vibe for the remainder of it, or you can set off now and interrupt the rest. Hmm. Can we not rest on the wagon, or does it? Will we not all be on the wagon uh, or something? I guess I could say like if you were to go inside the wagon, uh, you could rest en route. And to the death trap. <laughs> uh, given what's inside the wagon, actually, probably better to just walk. Okay. Well, in that if not, case, if not uh, all of us can fit. Okay. Uh, in that case, uh, if you would like, you may end the rest and uh, pick yourselves up and begin heading back down the trail toward the Svalich Road. Is that the plan? Let's do it. Let's yeah. get this reading. Let's we presume go, gamers. Zero amount of reading. ten conversation reading. happens on the way, reading. but we are reading. Okay. In that case, you leave a final glance for the Vistani encampment and the homes of the Dusk Elves, pondering on how Victor will or Casimir will survive in your absence, but nonetheless, <laughs> turning forward and. Passing on through the trees as you leave the encampment behind and soon find yourselves once more 
on the old Svalich Road. As you begin passing forward, you before soon um, find the misty palisade walls of Valaki coming into view once more. This time, guiding yourselves not through the gates, but around it on the flat, grassy surface of the clearing, just around the edge of town. You can see in some spaces where old uh, muddy wagons have worn wheels, uh, old tracks in the dirt or turned through the grass, but not frequently enough to actually forge a path. As you're pressing forward um, onto the road um, and begin to leave Velaki behind, if I could, if I could request um, a marching order, please. Keep is probably walking up close to the front of the wagon with Ez and Metreon, I think. Yeah, Metreon right. sitting next to Esmeralda. Lillison's walking behind. Yeah. Arthur is probably towards the back, chatting with Mazemark and Irena. Uh, yeah, Amity's probably uh, somewhere between Lillison and Arthur trying to do multiple chats at once. Okay. Very fair. With that, as you make your way forward, the uh, wheels of the wagon winding ahead and passing beneath the soft bits of moisture dripping from the trees, the mist swirling amidst the path, you leave the clearing of Valaki behind and path forward beneath the darkness of the canopy. You continue on forward for 5, 10, 15 minutes, following the muddy, dark trail as it wends and weaves its way through the wood. You hear the faint whistling of the wind through the trees overhead, the distant cawing of a raven. As you continue on forward, you watch as the mist begins to swirl around you, and in fact, the mist here is thick in this part of the forest. And at the distance through the fog, you think you hear something. The faint sound of hoofsteps and clinking chainmail. Metreon puts his hand in his jacket on the handle of his hand crossbow and is looking out into the into the woods and under the road. Yeah, same, but not with a crossbow, obviously, with a scimitar. Lillison grips her fist tightly around. Uh the gem on the chain on her hand. Handle of the wand. You watch as Esmeralda kind of just reflexively checks the blade at her side. The horses continue forward a bit slower, a bit warier. And as you proceed forward, the mist rises gently like a veil from the ground, cloaking you, swirling through the faint trees. And then you see something emerge from the road ahead as through the mist comes a skeletal warhorse and rider, both clad in ruined chainmail. The skeletal rider holds up a rusted lantern that sheds no light. And as its form steps through the shadows of the mist and fog, that is where we'll take our break. This is good. Possibly not end badly. No, oh, I think boy. we're going to be fine. I'm ready to die. 
Wait, no, no, I'm not. That was the whole point of the play. The whole point. Would you That's say the Skeletal Warrior is like a eight point five? I'm feeling a nine. <laughs> no, we have to we have to give him a five. At least let Metreon be prettier than somebody. Wow. <laughs> oh, I don't know who Prisma the fuck is eighteen. You're kidding. You Metreon is prettier than all of us. Thank you. Please note that Lillison's numerical scales do not represent the opinions or feelings of the person who's playing her. Very fair. And I will I also add that uh, we should avoid uh, putting this skeleton up on a uh, pedestal, uh, just because, you know, someone who's literally just a bone without skin, that's kind of an unrealistic standard to set for people. I mean, they're not for the 12 foot party skeleton from Home Depot, Dragna. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that well, was you know, he's not 12 foot tall, so. Oh, true. All right. Anyways, well, we will pick this back up after a 15 minute break. We hope you enjoy and we will see you back here soon.